Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really thrilled to welcome Wanda Morris to the podcast today. Wanda M. Morris is an alumna of the Yale Writers Workshop and Robert McKee's Story Seminar. She's a member of Sisters in Crime, Mystery Writers of America, and Crime Writers of Color. As a corporate attorney, she's worked in the legal departments of several Fortune 100 companies. An accomplished presenter and leader, Morris has previously served is president of the Georgia chapter of the Association of Corporate Counsel and is the founder of its Women's Initiative, an empowerment program for female in-house lawyers. Morris is married, the mother of three, and lives in Atlanta, Georgia. All Her Little Secrets is her debut novel, and it is getting a ton of buzz. Um, and as of this recording, was just nominated for uh, Best Debut for the Lefty Award. So congratulations on that, and welcome to the podcast, Wanda. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you for having me. Oh, please. I'm so glad that you're here, and and we're going to talk about your writing journey um, uh, and, you know, your publishing journey too, but how you got there. But first, uh, as I do on this podcast, let's start at the very beginning. <laughs> um, you know, you're a lawyer, you've got a family. I mean, there's a lot going on. Uh, but when did you say to yourself, I want to write a book? So I... Gosh, I remember, it, it kind of happened in stages. I remember when I was pregnant with my oldest child, my daughter, who um, is now, and she'll kill me for telling her age, she's in her 20s. Um, and I remember when I was pregnant with her, just reading voraciously um, because I had a bit of a bed rest situation. So um, I remember reading this book and I won't, you know, name the book or the author, but I finished the book and I was like, I could write a book better than that. Like, <laughs> and, you know, I was so frustrated by the book. And I remember in that moment saying to myself, hmm, I love books. I love reading. I, I bet I could. But then I never did anything with that. And so mm-hmm. fast forward to um, my daughter being in high school now. And um, I had always journaled and just like written little things ever since I was a girl, ever since I was a young girl. And so I've always kept journals. And I remember um, journaling one day and, you know, I kind of like put it out into the universe, I guess. It's kind of like, you know, what do I really, really want to do? Like if, you know, somebody said, here's your dream job, what would you like to do? And I thought to myself, gosh, it would be really cool. And I had had um, this character, Elise Littlejohn, 
always kind of rambling around in my head for years, uh, for years. And, you know, I thought, gosh, it would be really cool to do something with that woman that is in my head and talking to me. And so I put pen to paper then, and and literally pen to paper, because my writing process is I write all my first drafts in longhand. And so I sat down and um, I wrote um, the opening scene, which is now chapter one, where Elise goes into the office um, and discovers a body. And I, I wrote that. And surprisingly, out of all the years and all the revisions and rejections and everything, that opening scene, um, along with another scene that's pretty pivotal that happens in the middle of the book, neither of those scenes changed from wow. the first time that I wrote them. So that was it. It was like in 2008. Yeah, I think that's when I, I put pen to paper. And, um, you know, you are a lawyer and it was, you know, that's a a part of this book, but, you know, that doesn't mean that you could tell the stories, you know, stories and you capture stories and you, and, uh, you know, I want to talk about that a little bit more, but, you know, you, uh, in your bio, Robert McKee and Yale, you know, what did you do once you wrote and, you know, started this to sort of learn the craft of writing a book? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's where the journey begins. I, um, I started writing that first draft back in 2008 and I probably wrote about maybe 70, 75% of the book because I didn't have an ending for the book then. Um, and then I put it away. I, I just stopped working on it and, you know, I kind of went back to journaling, but I put the book away because I convinced myself nobody is going to want to read this. It's horrible and nobody's going to want to read about, you know, a middle-aged black woman who works with really awful people. (laughs) But, But more importantly, I also put it away because I thought, I can't write a book. Like, you know, I have a job. I'm already stressed to the max trying to raise three kids and job and be a good sister, wife and all these other things. And I was like, this is a folly. And so I need to to put it away. It was all that negative self-talk that we all mm-hmm. do, I think. Um, so for writers out there, learn from my example. Do not do what I did. Um keep writing because I stopped. Um, But then about six, almost seven years ago, I had some health challenges and I got through them. But at the end of that, when I got through on the other side, I thought to myself, you know, what do I do that gives me joy? What do I do Mm -hmm. that, you know, when I'm doing it, I lose all concept of time and space and everything else. And for me, it's always been writing. And so I went back and I pulled that manuscript back out and I read it again and it was bad. It was was like bad, (laughs) bad, bad, (laughs) because I didn't know anything. I was just kind of, you know, writing the things as they came to me. But that was okay because I committed myself to it this time. And that's when I started taking courses. And, you know, I 
one of the first courses I took was right over here at Emory University in Atlanta. And I took uh, an evening course in creative writing. Um, I did online courses and um, anything that I could get my hands on. You know, there's a whole shelf of books back here, craft books, anything where I could learn about, you know, story structure and characterization and, you know, openings, anything I could get my hands on. And, um, you know, I started, you know, kind of tooling with the manuscript again. And lo and behold, it started to get better. And I thought to myself, oh, maybe I could do something with this. And um, I took a portion of the manuscript and used that as part of my application for Yale Writers Workshop. And lo and behold, I got in. And it was a wonderful experience. It was like two weeks. Um, yeah, I'm a woman of a certain age, so you had to live in the dorms for the two weeks. So that was tough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I recommend dorm beds if, you know, your back has decades on it. But um, it was a great experience. I learned a lot. Um, but I, I kept moving forward this time. And every time I wanted to give up, I kept thinking to myself, but you gave up once before and, mm-hmm. you know, why would you do that again? So let's just keep going and see where this is going to end up. And um, and so that's what I did. Um, but I'll tell you, it was I, I call it my journey of rejection, because once I thought the manuscript was in a good place, I was like, now I can get an agent now. Yeah. Rolling. And that's when I started querying. And that's when the real fun began, because I got all sorts of rejections. I mean, <laughs> the book wasn't ready. So granted, it was, you know, not any particular agent's fault, but there was a ton of rejection on this book. And um, I didn't give up this time because I had fallen in love with the characters. And I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh. Somebody out there has to love Vera besides me, right? <laughs> Come on, somebody else has to think like, Luis, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> besides me. So I, I kept at it. Um, but yeah, there was a lot, a lot of rejection. And and I tell writers anytime I meet them and talk to them, you know, just Thicken up your skin, get ready for it, because it's a rare bird that gets into this business, queries, gets an agent and zips on off to, you know, submission and book publishing land. It, it is a long and arduous road. And that's OK, because you grow during those times. I think, yeah. you know, that's exactly what I did. I, I was growing and I didn't realize it. So uh, I, I want us to take a step back and talk about Yale a little bit. Uh, you know, I have preconceptions about uh, these these programs and and their openness to genre mm-hmm. uh, literature. Were what did you find in that workshop? There were other people writing in genre, or you know, was it a great mix of people? Or you know, um, because Robert McKee's story structure is is a lot of people take those classes and uh, read his books. And, you know, he, I feel like 
mystery writers have their place there. But, you know, what was your experience with the Yale workshop? I think, you know, two weeks in a dorm bed couldn't be fun, but it also must have been extraordinary to be around people for two weeks talking about your book. Um, but were, were there other genre writers there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, let me just step back for a minute. The way the program is structured, um, they have a couple of tracks. And so they have one week that um, I guess you would call it kind of literary, um, so to speak. And then the second week is devoted to different genres. And so, you know, there's mystery, there's poetry, there's, and you sign up for a particular track. Right. Um, right. So I did kind of the first week of uh, the literary and then I also did um, the second week and signed up to participate. I think it's like four days, actually. It's not a full week um, to do those four days in the mystery genre. And so I actually think and I recommend to people to kind of read outside the genre. I mean, if you want to be a mystery yes. writer, that's great read other mysteries and, and crime fiction, but also read other genres too, because I tell you the immersion in just kind of listening to um, people who were more literary writers mm -hmm. um, helped me um, see and describe things in my book that I might not have, um, might not have seen if, if I hadn't had that exposure. And so while, you know, I read a lot of, you know, mystery and, and crime fiction, I also read literary, I read poetry, um, I read nonfiction. I think any kind of reading helps your writing. Yes. Yeah. I noticed when I was reading your book, uh, you know, this, your description, it's it's always interesting to read as a writer because, you know, I'll read something and immerse myself and I step back and say, how did she do that? Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a couple of how did she do that moments where you almost watercolor paint a memory or a moment. And it was they're just lovely. So I I, I think you're you're. Um, your advice is so, so great. And, and obviously you took it to heart because, uh, you, you know, you have wonderful passages where you just put, you know, somebody into this moment in her life that, uh, and your heart breaks for her in a way, uh, that feels so close, um, which, you know, is, is an amazing, an amazing talent. Um, so I, I, the, the Yale obviously worked. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that compliment. Thank you so much. I love words. I, I, I always have. I, I, yeah. I love, I love listening to words. I, I love playing with words. I love kind of the lyricalness of a sentence. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think, you know, just because you're writing, you know, in a particular genre, doesn't mean that you can't have some of that, uh, you know, that lyrical nature and quality to your book as well. Um, so I, I, I try not to set up boundaries. Um, you know, at this point, <laughs> I'm at a point where I'm like, wow, all of this is really new to me. So let's try it. You know? <laughs> yes. Which I think is, is, wonderful and refreshing and uh and you know i 
centering a black woman in a mystery um, in such a, a meaningful way isn't always what's been done, right? I mean, it's it's this is this is also part of the wonderfulness of of what you've been able to do is um, maybe you needed those rejections for all those years so you could meet this moment yeah. <laughs> um, where people are thirsty for, for other points of view and other characters and understanding. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I have the saying that all things come in their time. And I think mm-hmm. that this book is a perfect example of that because I did have all those rejections um, leading up to this. And I um, found my agent in 2019. Yeah, because uh, with the pandemic, the years have started to blur into <laughs> each other. So um, I met my agent in 2019. And then she said, you know, I think maybe you, you know, need to make some changes here and there. And so I kind of skipped off with her notes to make the changes. And then in March 2020, like the world turned upside down. And so we had a worldwide pandemic and nobody was doing anything because we were just trying to figure out how to stay alive. Um, And so, you know, the book was kind of put on the back burner for a few months. And then um, in May and June, we had, you know, the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and uh, George Floyd and we had Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter protests. And so all of that, I think, came together to make people kind of sit up at attention and say, well, wait a minute, you know, what are we doing in this country? And I think as a result of that, it made people more receptive to a book and a story um, like all her little secrets. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so let's, uh, you know, I'm gonna, again, I do this all the time. I, I like cha-cha in these, in these conversations and I step back for a second. Why crime fiction? Was it always going to be crime fiction for you or was, you know, was her story, this character showed up, but she could have gone in a lot of different directions. Was it always crime fiction or or what, what drew you to that? I think it probably was always going to be crime fiction um, because I've always loved the genre um, and I, you know, I've read widely in it, but interestingly enough, you know, way back in, you know, 2008 and and a little before that, I tried my hand at nonfiction and I was trying to write some nonfiction and I found the stories that I wanted to tell. I, I didn't have the freedom to do the kinds of things that I wanted to do in those stories without it turning into fiction. It just seemed too close to me. Mm-hmm. to write nonfiction. And so I've always loved the crime genre. And so when Elise first started rambling around in my head, you know, like I said, I always had this seed in my mind that she would stumble upon a body and then she would walk away. And I'm like, what makes a person do something like that? Like, yeah. what in the heck happened to you that you could do that? Um, and so I just knew, you know, from that scene, it was it was always going to be crime fiction. I, I think because I like exploring stories that, 
you know, analyze kind of the dark side of us all um, and how people can be humane and inhumane and um, and and people can do both, um, sadly. Um, And so I like that exploration of, you know, what happens to families and relationships um, when you have, you know, these tipping points of inhumanity. Yeah. Yeah. And she's a complicated character, which I, I enjoy as well, because it's uh, it's really wonderful to read a protagonist who you could be you want you to support. But the other time you're like, oh, bad choice. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Um, earlier, you mentioned that your first draft is written by hand. Mm-hmm. Wow. And <laughs> I, and so tell me about this process. I mean, do you plot first or do you just start writing and clip pieces of paper together so you know where they're going to go? Or I mean, how does this work? I, I, I think first, like I said, a scene, a character kind of comes to me like in a vibe. Um, and then I I have tried because... Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of years because it took me, what, about 13 years to get published. So I had a lot of years to try different methods. And I mm-hmm. have tried going straight to the computer and typing up a scene. And for some reason, I get stuck and I wind up sitting there staring at a blank page when I pull out my yellow pad and, okay, so this is kind of crazy too, because it always has to be my pilot, you know, G2 uh, gel pens, but I, I pull out my pen and my paper and I I don't know that there is something about the nature of, you know, writing. And it could be like my job as a lawyer. Someone pointed this out yeah. to me recently that, you know, as a lawyer, I'm always taking notes because I'm in a meeting or I'm in court. And so I'm constantly taking notes. And so that has been the means by which, you know, I kind of, you know, digest and analyze information by writing it Mm -hmm. out in hand. And that seems to work for me because whenever I try and go straight to the computer, um, when I'm starting a new project, like I said, the character kind of comes to me in a vibe and I kind of, you know, jot down some things about her. I don't make these character Bibles and things like that because that's much too complicated for me. But, you know, I'll jot down conversations that the characters might have. And um, then I start to do what I consider like a really loose outline, like Mm -hmm. just like major scenes, like here's something that'll happen. Here's something else. Um, And then I start to, to build around that. I don't know the ending um, like on, you know, the new project I'm working on. I don't, I didn't know how it would end. Um, But I like that because I feel like I'm writing towards some unknown. I mean, you know, a funny story. When I was writing all her little secrets um, and my agent, um, who is a wonderful human being, Lori Galvin, um, when she first signed me up, she says, you know, I love this book. I love these characters, but I think you need to change the back end. (laughs) And I was like, "Eh." Um, 
And she said, I think that ending has been done a little much. So maybe you could do something fresher. And so I went back to the drawing board because, you know, if you write, you know, if you change something in the back, you got to go all the way back to the beginning of the book because you want to make sure that the threads come along throughout the entire book. And so when I did that process, you know, I started changing things and then I got to the climax of the book and I was kind of like, oh, oh my gosh, Elise, what are you doing? You know? So I was like writing as fast as I was thinking because I didn't know like how she was going to, you know, get out of her situation or what have you. And so I like that feeling of kind of writing towards the unknown. Um, But yeah, everything, the first drafts, and even with new scenes, if I'm writing a new scene, I start it um, by hand. Um, Yeah. yeah. I mean, it obviously works. And and, and I know people who type, but when they're they're stuck, they do go pen to paper, but Mm -hmm. writing an entire draft. um, Do you then put it in Word? I mean, what's that process like? And do you edit as you're typing or do you just get it in Word and then start editing? So after I've kind of written it out, then I go back and whenever I write, I have to have complete silence. So I don't write in cafes. I don't, you know, write to music or anything like that. Um, So once that's kind of done, then I will turn on some light jazz or, you know, some classical or something. I have to have music to type. Silly. I know. Um, And then I type that whole manuscript in. Um, I don't edit as I go along because I find that slows me up. So I just try and get everything down on paper. And then what's on paper, I try and put into the computer. Now, once I start to put it into the computer, I'll start to type and I think, oh, no, she should say this a different way. And so there are little changes from the manuscript Mm -hmm. into the typewriter that I make those kinds of changes. Um, And then once that is all in, I print out a hard copy and then I work by hand making revisions. Um, So, yeah. That's, I know it's an antiquated process. I am an antiquated writer, but it works for me. And I think everybody has to find what works for them. Like I have to kind of outline and know kind of what the major scenes are. God bless you. If you're a pantser, I, I just could not sit down and just write without any kind of roadmap. I think that that's a gift if you have it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you find uh, that there are lawyer writing skills that you acquired over the course of your career you had to unlearn to be a fiction writer? Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, I think both lawyers and fiction writers are kind of doing the same story because you're kind of telling a story. A big lawyer tells stories. So that is a commonality. But the way in which lawyers tell stories, you know, it's very objective. Um, It's very emotionless, um, if you will. Um, And so I had to... um, I had to kind of rethink how I think about characters in a book because, you know, when I'm writing something legal, it's, you know, you know, 
X, Y, and Z people went to blah, blah, blah. They did this. This was a result, et cetera, et cetera. And when I started writing fiction, I had to think about, you know, what is that person feeling in that moment? Mm -hmm. And how does it make her feel when she hears somebody say something to her? Um, Because one of the things that I got um, that was kind of a consistent theme um, in my um, vast um, collection of rejections was um, the thought that agent said, you know, I just can't relate to Elise. Like, why does she do what she does? Like, and and I think that's a legitimate, you know, that's a Mm -hmm. legitimate critique. Um, And so I was constantly having to go back to this character and explore, you know, what in her background made her behave the way she behaves as an adult. And what in her background made her feel a certain way when she encounters certain people? Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of that was new for me. That that was a whole new ball of wax that I had to learn and then learn all over again. Because, you know, once I thought I had it right, it still didn't feel right. And, and that's right. the, the beauty of rewrites and revisions. Um, that you can always go back and, and and keep tweaking it until you get it right. Well, and and so often as uh, you're writing, uh, you know, especially your first book, you realize it it makes sense in your head, but if it's not making sense to a reader um, when you're querying, then you have to you have to flip the switch and, and accept that and, and move forward. Was that a hard thing to do to take these rejections? And some of them you could just ignore, but some of them, you know, like, okay, wait a sec, I'm hearing the same thing from three different people. Maybe I need to sit again and look at this again. Was that a hard skill to develop? Yeah, that took some, that took a little while. And here's what I think about rejection is you know, this is a creative art. Writing is, a, you know, it's an art and everybody is not going to like your art. Um, and so, you know, when I initially started getting rejections, you know, I just thought, oh, God, the whole thing is awful. Pitch it. It's bad. But then I <laughs> I distinctly remember one day, too, I kind of lined all my rejection letters that I had gotten for one week. And it was a lot. Because <laughs> I'd hit the button, I'd hit the send button. Sometimes I'd just get a form reject like 10 minutes later. Yeah. But I lined them all up and I distinctly remember picking out the ones that said, um, your premise is good, but your character lacks X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And so rejections like that, I took those and I sat those to the side. The others I dismissed because if it was a form letter, maybe they didn't even look at it. Or if it was a really nasty rejection letter, then there was something else at play there. But those that said your character needs this or your setting needs that, I took those and I started to examine, Okay, what could I glean from this that I can put back into the manuscript? And so I tell people that that rejection 
is kind of helping you grow as a writer. I know it did mm-hmm. for me because it's tough. It, it's tough when people tell you, no, this is not good because so many times we equate what we produce and what you know we write with ourselves. And, mm-hmm. you know, that book, All Her Little Secrets is so much a part of me that, you know, when somebody says, yuck, you know, it's like, Hey, wait a minute. Um, which is another reason why I don't read Goodreads reviews. Um, so it's just, it's too, it's too hurtful. But if you have enough thick skin that you can get in there and look at those rejection letters where they're offering some, you know, bit of critique that is useful to make your manuscript that much better, take that run with it Mm -hmm. because it's a gift. It's a gift. Somebody is telling you something that can ultimately help you get to where you want to be. And the business side of writing, the publishing journey, sometimes rejections aren't that they didn't like the book. It's that they didn't think they could sell it. I mean, right. that they, they it wasn't for them. It's not, you know, it's not a rejection of your work. It's just that the business partnership isn't going to work. And that's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what I said. There was something else going on there. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't always mean that your writing is bad. It just means maybe that's not the book for me. That's not the book I can sell. I'm in a different space right now, whatever it means. But then again, that means that you can't sit and spend a lot of productive energy on that rejection. Right. You're going to have to move on to the rejections that could be helpful to you. Yeah. Yeah. So you found your agent in 2020. uh, 2019. 2019. Sorry. So when did you sell the book? Because it came out in November, right? Yeah. So I went to Thriller Fest in New York City in July 2019. And I sat down in front of Lori and she says, tell me about your book. And I was so nervous. Um, But I pretended like she was a girlfriend and I was telling her about this awful story I'd heard about another woman. And when I finished, she was like, oh, that sounds really good. Send it to me. And I sent it to her. And uh, 24 hours later, she sent me back an email and she said, I am loving The Elephant Fighter. That was the, the working title of the book. Um, and so she signed me up in August of 2019. And then uh, we went on submission in July of 2020. Okay. And I was published in November 2021. So once you met her, you both worked on the book and then you put it in submission, you know, that sounds like forever, but in publishing world, that's, you know, you, you sold it and then it was out in the next year. That's pretty pro forma. I mean, you know, was it like a, what was that moment like where she called and she said, you know, it's going to happen. It was, um, it was interesting because we went out on submission in July and she told me, you know, okay. Cause we, we, you know, talked about who we were submitting to and she says, okay, so I'm sending these out 
you should go and busy yourself with the next book or something else because it's going to be a while before we hear back. And I was like, okay. And then three or four days later, I think um, she she sent me an email and she said, oh, we have some interest. And I was like, yay. And then the day after that, she said, oh, we have some more interest. And I was like, (laughs) what? And by the third day, she said, I think we're going to auction. And oh. I I still get chills when I say. Yeah. Um, and so 12 days later, we were in an auction. Um, so that it, that was one of the most surreal moments because, yes. you know, you write and you write and you write and you hope and you pray and you do all these things. And you're just looking for somebody, you know, just that one. Yes. And and that's all it takes is, you know, one person saying, yeah, I really like this. And, you know, my beloved editor, Asante Simons at William Morrow, you know, the first time I talked to her, she was like, I just love this book. I just I just loved it. And it was so funny because after she bought the book. And we were on a call to discuss her notes. She said, I don't care what it would take, but I was going to get this book because I loved it. And that's what you want. You want someone who loves your book as much as you do. Someone who says, I get you. I I see what you're trying to accomplish here. So all that rejection means that you're just getting to the right person. That's that's exactly right. And it's so hard to be patient, but that's such a great piece of advice for yeah. people. Um, so speaking of advice, again, our cha-cha moves, uh, what's the best piece and the worst piece of writing advice you got on this journey as you were getting ready to get Elise out into the world? Mm-hmm. The best piece of advice, I've gotten a few really good pieces of advice The best piece of advice, I think, was from another writer who told me, um, and I didn't understand it at the time, but they said, trust your instinct, trust yourself um, to write the book that you're supposed to write. And, you know, at the time I was like, oh, yeah, okay, great. You know, and and I walked away and I was like, what does that mean? And then I realized what she meant by that when I had to make decisions about whether to, you know, keep a certain character Mm -hmm. or to cut a certain scene because, you know, how they say, oh, you know, you're in love with your darlings, but it's not so much that you're in love with your darlings, but you're like, I have put so much work into this. Is it right to cut this out? Is it right? to redo this. And so learning to trust yourself because you know the story that you're trying to tell. Um, And so learning to trust yourself and and go with that. Um, That piece of advice came in handy for the worst piece of advice that I ever got, which was from a workshop leader. And it wasn't the Yale workshop, but another workshop I'd done. And the uh, writer said, Never write your story or your book in dual timelines because people will love one timeline and hate the other. So never do that. And so for years, I avoided dual timelines. And then I went back to this writer's advice where she said, trust yourself. And I had gotten so much rejection. 
And I said, you know what? Forget it. I I would love to tell the backstory in a separate yeah. story. And so when I opened up those Chillicothe scenes and wrote yeah. in the dual timeline, the book just like went yeah. in a whole different direction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so those are the, and, and, and conversely, they worked for me, but yeah, that's the best piece and the worst piece of advice I've gotten. Trust yourself, write the book that you know is in your heart to write. That's what I say. Yeah. And then develop the craft in order to support writing. Exactly. Timelines, because it does, it, it takes effort and real, um, ability to be able to pull that off, which you do, uh, you know, but some people write them in, and you get the reason people don't like them is because they get confused. You don't confuse people. <laughs> you put them right back in the timeline. You know, it's like a, you're using a different paint box to, to put us in those scenes, which is really helpful as a reader. It's like, okay, we're back. We're going to learn more. And by the time those scenes come in, you're like, oh, I need to understand her more. Like, <laughs> Help me understand how she became her these scenes help. So you she could tell people these stories, but it's so effective to have her living those stories, which, you know, is great. Um, you're a member of Sisters in Crime. You're a member of MWA. You're a member of Crime Writers of Color. Tell when did you join organizations as part of your writing journey? Because I think a lot of times writers don't understand that community is required in order to actually um, be on this journey because it's a tough one. Yeah. And not people love you in your life, but they don't always understand mm -hmm. what, what all this means. But other writers can say, you know, like other writers hearing that you went to auction, they will have a thrill for you more than your family because they really understand yes. like what that means or you know your pile of rejections other writers can commiserate or or help you filter whereas family just wants to protect you and and you know yeah make you feel better yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly so um interestingly enough uh, I think Mystery Writers of America was the very first organization I joined. And I joined that, I think, because I was trying to um, access a webinar or something. And I think you had to be a member to access it. And I was like, I want that seminar. So, you know, I'm going to lay down my books for yeah. it. Um, not even kind of thinking in the community realm. I was just trying to get access to resources that would mm -hmm. help me as a writer. And man, I got so much more because I wound up, you know, meeting people through that organization yep. that were just, like you said, that they were support extraordinaire. You know, they were the ones that said, you know what? Yeah, I know that agent rejected you, but that's okay. You know, go back, take a look at what she said and look at all those things that you needed at the moment. And then Sisters in Crime, I joined because I was at the Yale Writers Workshop. And one of the instructors, the, the mystery genre instructor was Lori Rader Day, who is a member of Sisters in Crime Chicago chapter. And she was the workshop leader. And, you know, I was just like a big old fan girl of hers. And so she was like, yeah, you have to join Sisters in Crime. And I was like, bet. 
I'm doing it uh, just because you said do it. Um, yeah. I just adore Lori and, and her books. And um, and again, you know, another really valuable um, organization that, you know, I still tap into because Sisters in Crime has so many resources like it's just phenomenal. I mean, I, it, they just kind of opened my eyes to the things that I could do with a work in progress. And and then Crime Writers of Color, it's an interesting story how I joined that. I um, was reading, I think, Writer's Digest and Kelly Garrett, who was another wonderful author, had just published her um uh, homicide, um, Hollywood homicide series. Mm-hmm. I think it might've been her first, maybe it was her second. And they had an article about her and she was like the first black woman that I saw that was like a contemporary that was writing mysteries, you know, like the kind of mysteries that I liked. And, you know, even though the book was a cozy, it was still in the mystery genre. And I was like, Oh, oh my gosh. And so I slid into her DMs and I was like, Kelly, I just read your book. I loved it. I just read this article about you. I think you're wonderful. Just wanted to let you know. And she wrote me back and she was like, you write crime? Oh, you need to join this organization that I'm starting. And I was like, bet. Um, And man, it has just been a really great organization. Another great support group, all sorts of resources. We have a website. um, We have seminars. It's, It's a great organization, but it's so important to build community in this business because, like you said, they will hold you up. They understand what you're going through um, when family doesn't. Um, so they are your family. So. Yeah, I, I've had several members of Crime Writers of Color on the podcast. And I'm going to suggest to everybody, follow Crime Writers of Color on social media. Um, and certainly if you are a Crime Writer of Color, join the organization. If you aren't, uh, amplify uh, and and pay attention because if you want to see how an organization um, can help just promote and and support and uh, you know do do the work crimes of color is an unbelievable um, example of that on social on Twitter on you know mostly on Twitter is where I, I notice it but you know just um, singing the praises and celebrating and you know when things happen and you need groups I mean I have smaller groups a sisters in crime is a, a has more members and is larger um, uh, and has a different different focus, a different mission than Crime Writers of Color, but um, everyone should be following Crime Writers of Color on social media so that you can be part of the celebrations because you'll also get a great list of books to buy (laughs) (laughs) or borrow and read. (laughs) I could not agree more, Julie. I could not agree more. Thank you for yeah. that. That's so true. Yeah, no, it's really, it's it's uh, it's an amazing group. I mean, founded by Gigi Pandian, Kelly Garrett, and Walter Mosley, yes. um, not that long ago, and has just, is flourishing, and so many volunteers in the um, back end who are, you know, making lists and doing podcasts and doing this and doing that. So it's a, a tremendous resource for everybody um, to follow. And of course, Sisters in Crime, you know, I'll always sing the praises of Sisters in Crime. It's it's my job, but it's also my honor. Um, but, you know, crime writers of color, everyone should be 
following on yeah. social media. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I like what you say about having groups, small, being part of small groups as well as big groups. And, um, you know, every time, you know, one of us succeeds, we all succeed. And that yeah. goes to your point about amplifying uh, diverse yeah. voices. It's so very needed these days. So very needed because we don't want this to be a blip. We want this to be a trend that continues. Exactly. Um, and so the only way we could do that is to help amplify um, all of us. That's all of our jobs. Um, and I'm so glad you gave a shout out to Laurie Raider Day, who is a past president of Sisters in Crime, is an amazing writer um, and is an amazing teacher. And, and having workshops with teachers like that also is, you know, you learn, but you're building a network there as well, because she was out there cheering when your book came out as well. Funny story about uh, Lori. She was the instructor for that course and each student got like a 30 minute session with the instructor to just talk about their manuscript. And then Lori would provide feedback on what she read. And so I sat down in front of her. And like I said, I was a big old fangirl of hers. And so I sat down in front of her and she says, tell me about your book. (laughs) So I had not quite perfected the art of the pitch. I spent my entire 30 minutes just rambling on about this book. (laughs) She finally says when it's her time to talk, which I gave her like two minutes. (laughs) She looks at me and she goes, you know something? I've read your book. I've read your, your, it was a portion. She said, I've read your excerpt. You're a really good writer. And I got to tell you, that was the first time anybody ever told me that ever. And it changed the whole dynamic of this, this journey for me, because I started to think of myself as a writer and not just dabbling around with this manuscript. So I will love Lori Rader day forever for that. She, um, she is just, and she's a wonderful teacher. Like you said, she's an absolutely wonderful teacher. If you get a chance to take a course from her, do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, again, somebody good to follow on social media to mm-hmm. talk about what she's doing. Um, so Wanda, what are you working on now? I mean, you're, you're still in your debut year, which is something you hopefully are celebrating and, and just enjoying tremendously, but you know, we're always going to ask, so what's next? And are you, you know, do you have something in the pipeline? Where, where are you with your next project? Yes. So I am um, wrapping up revisions on my second book, which, again, I know people kind of want to see, you know, something different, but the same from you. This one is a little different, a lot different. Um, It's not a legal thriller. It only tangibly talks about lawyers, but it is a story about two Black sisters um, in the Jim Crow South of Mississippi in 1964. They become embroiled in the murder of a white man. And before the police can catch them, they take off running. One heads to the North and one winds up in a rural town in Georgia. But what they aren't aware of is that there is someone hot on their trail with a very unique motive for finding them. And all three lives converge. Um, in a very deadly showdown. I got to have bodies, right? (laughs) Wow, 1964. 
Jim Crow, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. That that's a world, Wanda. Man, that is that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Um, and is it is it all stay in 1964? It or all takes it- place over the course of a summer <clears throat> in 1964. And the book I wanted to explore. Um, a period in time where we were right on the cusp of the Mm -hmm. civil rights movement. And it explores what it's like to be a woman in 1964. And if you think it's tough being female now, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no. We've come so far Mm -hmm. in these 60 years and go back and do, but we have, we have progressed. It has gotten better for people. Um, it's just, we, we got to hold on and make sure we don't lose, exactly. <laughs> lose some of that progress. And that's what um, I try to explore here is to highlight that, you know, it was a turbulent time. It was a different time for women. Cause like I say, I like to write women's stories. Um, yeah. And it was, it was a turbulent time for women and for blacks and while to your point we made some progress, we could so very easily lose it. Um, Absolutely, very very easily let it slip right through our fingers. And so the yep. book explores things like the Voting Rights Act, which was enacted in 1964 or 1965, um, uh, the Civil Rights Act in 1964, and all of these um, changes that were being made and how we were on the cusp of being, you know, this big new America. Yeah. Um, but it took some labor pains to get there. It did. It did. Um, well, that's, that sounds very exciting. So you're in the, you're, you're revising now and, <clears throat> you know, we'll see, we'll see what, hopefully when, I mean, do you have a- end of this year, hopefully by the, uh, by the fall. It comes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is so exciting. Um, I can't wait to hear more about it. Um, again, yeah, that, I mean, historical fiction, 64, I mean, it's hard for me, I guess 1975 is historical fiction at this point, but, uh, but that's exciting. Weird. It does. Wait a minute. I have a memory. I was doing it in 1975. Exactly. It's always a little humbling. Um, but this, that sounds really exciting. Again, very timely. You're, 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 you're in the zeitgeist with your topics and your conversations. That's exciting. Really exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, this was a wonderful conversation. I want to thank you so much for having it with me and congratulations again on all her little secrets. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast. <laughs>